Welcome to our weekly, and of course we mean weekly, Wednesday night shir, and still in the memory of Nachman Yaakov Ben Sihirsh. And tonight we'd also like to put it in the Nishmas, my dear father, Rav Shalom, Rav Chosid, Whose yard site was today, and Lailach Hayyim sometimes, Kabanis, and therefore in the case of Lailach Hayyim, we are taking the yard site yet another hour into the night. The Rebbe writes that if a person has a yard site on a Friday, uh, many people have took on this halacha as well, this halacha, this minig, and um, in other circles as well, not just Chabad, to, um, when it comes to Kigavna, on Friday night, uh, before Mairev, the end of Kabbalah Shabbos, it's considered the end of Kabbalah Shabbos, it's the next to Mairev, and therefore, they too, that Kaddish, which only Chabad actually has said, uh, that Kaddish also is said by the Yosem that has the outside of Friday, either it's connected as well to the Friday. And this tomb. Therefore, we see also that, that it carries over, a yard site can carry over into the night. The Rebbe would always bring the night after the yard site, the yard site of his father, Chav Nachmov, Levik, he would bring the night after Chav Of, not early Chav Of. Also, thereby carrying over the yard site. Um, on a lighter note, I'd like to wish my daughter, my son-in-law, happy anniversary for Hey El. We have many, many happy years together, peaceful. Tranquil, Nachas, Echava, Banachayim, Zena, Kul Ravicha. My father, Shalom, had different career changes in terms of his life. The lion's share of his younger years worked for a company, a, food, a takeout food company called Meal Mart. Meal Mart mm. served everything. Anything fleshy that you could possibly serve, mm. Meal Mart served it. And therefore, hello, I'm in the middle of a class. I'm in the middle of a class. I'm in the middle of a class till after 10. I'm giving a class till after 10. 
I am giving a class. Mean that everybody needs to filter fish. What could a Jewish household do without barbecue chicken? Of course, Google, Shalom, Kishkes. So, it was quite a popular entity. But, even in those days, in the early years, the 60s, 70s, before the hotel programs opened up for Pesach, people still found the need to go to the takeout food store. Although the majority of only ate at home, there was still quite a clientele for Pesach to get food. <laughs> Remember, I once have a, I have a friend actually who had a, a takeout food store every year. Stop by and say hello. The worker there told me he once worked in a Pesach program, a hotel, and um, filter fish. Usually, is made in a roll of filter fish, which you slice up, serve a nice carrot on top. Or the traditional habit is also people make it into round gefilte fish balls and they serve that nicely with a carrot. Well, the more popular food, of course, that we know of is matzo balls, are made in the chicken soup. Obviously, they don't mix. But there was one, I guess, non Jewish worker working in the kitchen. I didn't know the difference, and he took the tray of filter fish balls and put them into the uh, chicken soup. It's quite a mess. Kid said, came for Pesach, he needed to cash at the store. In the store, the whole year long, had chomets. Chomets, uh, it's not hard to, to, to itemize chomets items, luxury kugels, and the fried chickens, and all the things they used to have in chomets. It was a chomets store. Came Pesach, obviously the uh, menu was less, was much smaller. You still could have your barbecue chicken, we just didn't put any sauce on it. And uh, you still had the filter fish, of course, traditional. Still had coleslaw, you still had potato salad, you still had, there was quite a, a menu still. So they had to cash at the store. There was a lot of cooking in the store. So the cash of the store and clean the store. It was a kunz, it was a major trick to be able to do that while the store was still functioning. While still selling products, 
of chametz on one part of the store, you were able to still work on cleaning the store for Pesach. Now, any nice Jewish mother would probably shudder hearing that line. How do you have chametz anywhere near Pesach? Kitchens, but it was quite, it was a big store. Then the mashgiach uh, of the business, it's a big food chain. So the mashgiach, the nirbat or the night, I don't remember which one it was, used to go from store to store, checking them up, making sure that everything was done right. I remember, like today, he came in to inspect my father's store, and uh, he walked around practically with a white glove. When he finished inspecting the store, he didn't walk out the store even. He walked over to the phone on the wall. He called the owners. And he said, send all your storekeepers to Moshe Hecht. Let them learn how to clean a store for Pesach. So he was extremely, extremely stringent on his mitzvahs. Stringent to make sure that there was no Shortcuts. There's also a chazan. A chazan is, of course, the baltfila, one that leads, not just leads the services, also stands and, thank you, and prays on behalf of the congregation. was quite, quite a responsible a responsibility of a fellow. Father Shalom also was a sheikhit. By trade, his father was a sheikh in the chazan, and he too was a sheikh in the chazan. And as a sheikhit, a ritual slaughterer, it also meant you needed to be a God-fearing Jew. It was not a simple task to just go in there and just slice a chicken's neck. And that that as well, he was quite accepted as his father of Shalom, my grandfather, Yisrael, was also a very, very, very respected, revered Shochet. And we see, actually, interesting, ironically, his yard site would come out usually either Pasha Shaftim or Pasha Kisete. There are times even Kisabe, where Kisabe will be the Shabbos before the outside. And this year, being that it shaved him, like to tie in the behavior of my father, it was on the way. He treated 
Torah and Mitzvahs with the Parsha Ashavua. Also, is a big merit, a big schus. Yesterday, we dedicated a Sefer Torah in his memory. It's a beautiful, beautiful Kiddush Hashem. Many people came to partake. entire family, of course, stepped up to the plate, as we say, the baking of cakes. My daughters just outdid themselves, Hashem. And my son hosted the writing of the Sefer Teirah, Baruch Hashem, in his new home. And the meal thereafter. So thanks needs to go out, of course, to everyone that partook. There have been my wife with the stuffed cabbage, or each person with his own contribution that they did. And those who just came to celebrate, to dance with us in the street, or in the shul, or just to be able to join us at the actual Suddhis Mitzvah, like to thank in my father's name for the making it a very very wonderful experience and evening it's a shame we should go simchas and just as when a sefer comes to a shul a new sefer one of the beautiful beautiful traditions is they bring out all the sefer of the shul to greet the new Torah to Aaron Kodesh. And another beautiful custom, if the march from the writing until the shul should pass a shul that it's not going into, they also take out the Sefer to greet the new Sefer which is a tremendous, tremendous chus, a tremendous mitzvah, incumbent on each and every Jew. Tere Pasha starts off, Sheftim v'sheitim titim lecha, Bechol she'arecha. Set up judges, law enforcement officials, in all your cities. She'arecha, translated loosely here as your cities, she'arecha also means your gates. Sarah tells us literally, set up judges who determine what the law will be, and the officials, the policemen, that will carry them out. We find though, with the coming of Mashiach, speedily in our day, and a future redemption, God says, I'll restore. I will restore your judges as at first and your counselors as in the beginning. Not your shaitrim. 
rather your counselors. There's no law enforcement mentioned in the era of Mashiach. There'll be judges, there'll be people determining the law, and counselors will advise how to do it. Since in the future we will be freed of our Yetzirah, our evil inclination, keep me score at home, the Gemara and Sukkah, Nun Beis Amar Aleph, 52, side 1, side A. So if there's no Yetzirah, we don't need anybody to enforce the law. We don't need anybody to tell you, you must do what the judge just told you. Because automatically the person will know. This is what the judge told me, this is what I will do. And therefore, the judge will tell you what to do, but there will be a counselor. Who not is not there to enforce the law or to give orders to advise you how to do it. Sometimes we get a psakdin. We get a judgment and we don't know exactly how to carry it out. We give advice as a suggestion. We don't impose on somebody. Therefore, the advisor comes down to the person and talks to them as an equal and guides them and tells them how they have to behave and what they have to do. The person, therefore, listening to the advice knows it's their best interest to hear what they're saying and does exactly as they're told. So the advisors will help the people through with keeping with the dictate of the judges. So as a result, people not only will obey the laws, they'll be motivated to fulfill them. As we said before, the Chol Sha'arecha also refers to, translated as, your gates. to which many commentaries, Rashi included, tells us that we have a slew of gates that need to be watched and protected. We have a mouth with which one can sin by talking and saying the wrong things, by talking Lush and Hara, by talking improperly disrespectfully to someone that deserves to be respected which is everybody because you're not a judge you're not the judge trial you're not the judge jury and please Therefore, if you think this person is not a good person, something in his past or something, in what you think he might be thinking or doing, 
you may not pass that judgment. It's not yours to do. And therefore, as a fellow Jew, you need to speak respectfully to a fellow Jew. So you cannot humiliate someone in public. Mishnah tells us, Pekiyavis, if you embarrass somebody in the public, you don't have a portion of the world to come. Which means to say that you do not have the right to do so. No matter who you think you're appointed, who appointed you, or what you think you're appointed to, you do not have the right to humiliate a fellow Jew. And of course, Lashon Hara, we don't even need to start to say the severity of Lashon Hara. And looking at places we should not be looking. Seeing things we should not be seeing. And therefore your eyes are another gate, another venue with which one can God forbid sin. And needless to say the ears that can hear the Lashon Hara but I can hear what someone's saying to somebody else. Making fun of them, humiliating them. To hear that, you're already committing a sin, God forbid. But God showed us a very interesting concept. If I don't want to hear something, I take my fingers, I put my earlobes over my ears and I'm deaf to the world. I don't want to see something. I close my eyes, my eyelids come over my eyes, cover the eyes and I do not see anything. But in order not to talk, in order to control the tongue, God created two layers of protection. We have the teeth and then we have the lips. Showing us the severity of the Lashon Hara, severity of blaspheming and humiliating a fellow Jew. That God put two forms of protection so you should not, God forbid, talk about a fellow Jew. And my father, Shalom, had just that idea. You manage to randomly meet people in the most random places and random times. I met recently a fellow. She asked me, wait a minute, is your father, the, was he the, is he the chazan, the king of the Jewish center? I said, yes. I used to meet him every Shabbos, he tells me. I never saw this fellow in my life. He met my father every Shabbos. My father used to walk from Borough Park, Kingsway. And he said he, to break up the walk, and to, I guess to cool himself off a little bit also, in the halfway point in Flatbush, he would stop to go to the mikveh. Went to Mikveh Shabbos every day, every day, basically. 
He would stop and go to this mikvah, he's 15th street or something. And this man said he would go every day, every Shabbos at that same time also. I had this chus, he says to me, I had the merit of meeting your father and seeing him every Shabbos. We used to chapa shmuza, dvartera, savarta, pasha. Randomly meeting somebody. But then, I was so proud. I had met this rabbi at a, ra- at a wedding that was performing. I was so proud to hear about my father, happy to hear about my father. As I was telling my siblings, you always have some sibling that's going to one-up you. My sister tells me, (laughs) father used to work as the kosher supervision in a store called Pick and Pay, which is no longer open. And um, he used to be there to open the store and he used to be there all day. Put in long hours, 13, 14 hour days. And my sister needed some construction done in her house. And this uh, fellow came to give her an estimate. I guess he's a Spanish speaking fellow. But he speaks a good English. And he noticed on the wall of my, fa- my sister's house a picture of my father. It's all the rabbi. So the picture of my father, I, I guess, is a picture with the Rebbe. So my sister felt maybe she, he's talking about the Rebbe, maybe he knew who the Rebbe was. <laughs> she didn't make anything of it. She says, How do you know the rabbi? Well, she looks again. He's not pointing at the picture of the Rebbe, he's pointing at the picture of my father. She says, how do you know the rabbi? Because I used to work in pick and pay. I used to work in pick and pay, and I spoke the best English from all the Mexican workers. So the rabbi needed something to tell somebody something. He didn't want them to say later they didn't understand what he said. She would always call me over to tell them. To make sure it was done right. And then, I mean, this is, we're talking here, my father's gone seven years and hasn't been in picking pain probably about five years before that. And this guy remembers that rabbi, he never let anybody touch the fires. If we needed a fire, we had to come upstairs and say, Rabbi, we need a fire. And he'd come all the way downstairs to light the fire. He never let anybody touch the fires. And I guess my sister won up me to give me another step to hear Havdol from Magoy the reverence and the respect that he had for my father, Allah Shalom, so many years later, still remembering 
how stringent my father was with the law, the halacha. Go back to the parsha, very very full parsha, not a very long one, but very full. The Jewish nation is a minority. And we always were a minority. No matter what era we were in, we were a minority. Hence, every generation, they stand up to try to destroy us. Because after all, they're so concerned about this minority. But still in all, besides every generation there's somebody trying to destroy us. There was a concept of exposure that the Jews always were subjected to. And unfortunately, the exposure, no matter who they were, always affected. Therefore, we're talking before the radio, before the TV, before the internet. There was exposure to public activities that affected the Jews' daily life. And the Teda goes back to tell us, the Teda itself tells us, you're going to come forth and say, You're going to request a king. Therefore, says the Teda, you should appoint a king over you. And the Teda tells us explicitly how to do so. But what's very ironic here, what's missing here from the uh, anointment of the king, is actually anointing the king with oil on his appointment. Terry doesn't talk about that. But, anointing a, a king with oil is, is a basic component of this inauguration. Where do we first find this mention? When Shmuel Hanavi goes and anoints, appoints Shol HaMelech as king, Pasik says, Vayikach Shmuel, Shmuel takes a cruise of oil and poured it over his head. We go back a little bit to Yeshua, 
who was the successor of Moshe Rabbeinu? No. Although he was his halachic status was king, he was appointed by Moshe merely by leaning Moshe Samach Yade Areshei. The mere action of a Samach Siyadeh Areshei. Smicha Siyadeh. He put his hand on his head. There was no oil. So why did Yeshua's installment, installation as a king, not require Mesha to anoint him with oil? The explanation really is that anointing inaugurates malchus, kingship. As what? It becomes a body of authority on its own. And that was therefore necessary in Yeshua's case. The Rambam and Hilchus Malachim describes what's the task of the Jewish king. His purpose, his intent, should be to elevate the true faith of the Jews. Fill the world with justice, destroying the power of wicked, waging wars of God. Materially, that was secondary for a king. His main frame responsibility was spirituality. To take care of the spiritual needs of the people. In essence, therefore, was instrument through the teachings of the Sanhedrin. And this is enforced by the king. Although when it comes to government, you would probably say the Sanhedrin and the king were two different branches. And each one had its own powers, each one had its own way of installing, of doing what they had to do independently. The true authority to transmit Teda is through Smicha. Ordination. But to rule a nation, we needed the anointment of oil, with oil. Yeshua, on the other hand, he was vested with both of these powers. He, as Mesha, his predecessor, his teacher, his master, his mentor, was tasked with transmitting Taylor to the Jewish nation. No more or less. He was appointed as a king to keep Taylor's teachings within the capacity of his, t- his kingship.
And therefore, since he was like, he was the Rebbe really, he didn't have to have anointing with oil. And therefore he had the ordination, the smicha, from Eish Rabbeinu. By placing his hands on his head, this was sufficient to make him the kingship as well. And therefore, the same Tosim Elechom tells us. Not appoint a king just to be there for you, but rather appoint a king over you. To know and to live by the word of the king. To know and to live by the directives of the king and to see to it that we follow through and we follow out and we not only do it for ourselves but for our children, our grandchildren, our generations to come that all know that this is the way of the king. Tells us the Tera when one does go out into the world whether it be in battle or in anything else, one needs to be very careful of certain destruction that may not take place. One of which is a fruit tree. Says the Taylor, why Kia Adam eats Hasode? Is that the man, tree of the field? Is that a question or whether it be a statement? According to logic, it's a question. Mm-hmm. Questioning the destroying of a fruit tree. when you're waging war against another nation. Does that case demand the tree of the field? Is the tree your enemy as well? If you keep me score at home in the beginning of a sechus tainus, 
Zion number Aleph, seven side one. The Gemara interprets a little different twist to this. And it says, man is like the tree of the field. <coughs> and this is an extremely important lesson to our daily life, our behavior in life, and more so, and more importantly, to the behavior, to the way we educate our children. And we're not talking about educating the 14-year-old and the 15-year-old, we're talking about early childhood. In the earliest stages, the child is not yet speaking. If you go to a fully grown tree and you put a scrape into it, so you've done something. You've made a mark. You've made your, you've made your inscription. But to the tree itself, it's not likely to devastate the tree. And a strong tree will very likely to recover from this. And it continue growing healthily, fruitfully. Little deficiencies, probably but it still will have what it needs. When it comes to the seed, or a young sapling, the smallest scrape will ruin it, scar it for life. And might even ruin the thing from growing at all, or bearing any fruits. And the same is with the children's Torah education. Truthfully, to compromise your standards is undesirable even for adults. But to compromise the education of children is devastating. In order for us to be able to raise and to nurture a Jewish generation, a future generation, we need to see to it that they are spiritually fit. We may need to make sure that our children receive a healthy, undiluted Jewish education. Starting and especially from the youngest of age. And ultimately this long-term positive effects will affect even the smallest measure of improvement in the area of Jewish education. little child is born and as the child comes out of the womb and the doctors need to sever the umbilical cord and they wash down the child and they put them in a warm blanket in a warm environment because the child is so warm and comfortable in their mother's womb The first thing the Jewish mother needs to do, as soon as the baby is handed to her, to wash the baby Negolas. And 
from that day on. The smallest of infants need to wash Negavasa, need to hear their mother or their father telling them Maida'ani. Need to hear the words Torah Tzivalanu Moshe Merasha Kilas Yaakov. This is called fundamental chinuch. This is seeing to it that the tree is planted, nurtured, and growing properly. So when we say as we revert back to what we said before the Gemara and Tainus who? I don't remember the meaning Mother says it's not a question as we just said but a fact the man is the tree of the field and a Talmud Chochem is compared to a fruit tree a Torah Scala and the Mother associates the fruit trees specifically with Torah Scholarship not how we do a ter- and how we do mitzvahs how we fulfill our mitzvahs. For example, highlights the unique nature of how man's relationship between himself and God through terror study. Mitzvahs are commandments, demands that are put on humankind. So when one does a mitzvah, one is sacrificing. Or surrendering your personal interests in order to obey God's commands and expectations of Him. The Teda itself, though, in contrast, is God's wisdom. What are we learning this for? To absorb this. To absorb God's, God's wisdom into our mind. Although ultimately the most important way of studying Tera is without ego, without self-importance whatsoever, one needs to surrender themselves totally the goal of Tera of studying Tera is to grasp God's wisdom. Not in a supernatural form, in a natural form, with your own understanding, your own mind, and making it a part of your own identity. You come to identify yourself with God's wisdom. Mm -hmm. 
So since somebody has to, the individual needs to emphasize his Torah study, But you don't have to give up everything. You don't have to give up your whole characteristics. So now we understand why the Gemara and Avedi Zara, if you call it in Caping Square at home on 19 side A, you Testament Aleph, says, one should always study Teda in the area, study in the, in the area of Teda, what parts of Teda with the heart desires. So it's not to give up, you don't give up your identity by studying Tera, you become one entity with the study of Tera which you are studying. And there are many people that have different connections to different things of Tera. They are drawn to different studies of Tera. That gives them medrash, some have this, some have halacha. There are different things that draw them, that attract them. And this is therefore the importance that one finds gratification and enjoyment by studying Teda. That's why Teda compares the Talmud Chacham to a fruit tree. Grains give sustenance to people. Fruits are also a source of enjoyment and pleasure, not just sustenance. So when they compare Tera scholars to fruit trees, the Talmud the Gemara is emphasizing that more so than other aspects of our religious observance, one must study Tera with a passion and devote themselves totally to their study of Tera. Spoke yesterday the concept of Tamim Tia Mashem Alikacha. Very, very integral part of today's Pasha. We need to be Tamim, we need to be complete. Hey. 
get it from all angles tonight. I spoke a very interesting, I said about the very interesting Sikh of the Rebbe's. We're obligated to be Tomim. To be whole. The Rebbe writes, first Chabad Rebbe writes, through mitzvahs, we can become Tamim. To become one. All our body parts, all our sinews coincide. Just as there are 613 commandments, so too there are 248 organs and 365 sinews. But if God forbid one's missing one, then the God forbid it's as if they're missing something of their body. You can't live technically without the heart, without the brain. How do we then therefore deprive by depriving ourselves of one of these mitzvahs. And we know, bottom line, there's only X amount of mitzvahs that we can complete in this world. We are not capable of doing all the 613 mitzvahs. In that case, we are depriving somewhere something in our body, in our spiritual body, it's missing something from the 613. How can I be there for Tom, Tomim, Vishalim, complete, without doing all the 613 mitzvahs? What mitzvahs can we not do, for example? Simple. The mitzvahs that needed to be done in the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple. Unfortunately, we don't have the Holy Temple today. And therefore, are we going to tell us that we're all blemished people? We're all going to be missing a part, an integral part of our lives? The Rebbe gives three explanations to show us that we can be complete essence and one of the reasons that the student that learns in is called a Tamim. It's because he learns both Nigla the Teda and Nista the Teda. Both the revealed and hidden parts of the Teda. And therefore he's complete. How is every Jew complete? Three reasons. The mere fact, says the Rebbe, we find ourselves in a situation, a predicament that we cannot complete all the mitzvahs. This in itself tells us that somewhere prior, in a previous lifetime, we completed those other mitzvahs already. And therefore now we only have to complete the rest. A second explanation 
Our sages tell us if you keep your score at home, Menachis Kufyud Amar Aleph, one hundred ten, side one. Ha'esik b'teiras ela A person sitting and studying the teira, the laws and everything that's relevant to the carbon ela. It's as if they bring a carbon ela. And every other mitzvah that we cannot do necessarily in today's day and age by learning and studying those mitzvahs, we're as if we are completing those mitzvahs. And thirdly, the mere fact that the Teda tells us that only in the Holy Temple may you bring a sacrifice. And therefore, I am not going out today with a sacrifice. I'm not taking the calf, the cow, whatever it might be, and bringing it elsewhere, because I know that I cannot bring it elsewhere. I can only bring it in the Holy Temple. The mere fact that I am not doing it anywhere else that in itself is doing the mitzvah. The fact that I am not desecrating the mitzvah. And to this we also like to say a bracha chena on the galus. May this be the fruits of our tree. May this be the end of having to have any doubts of how to be Tomim. And that this very Shabbos will all be in Beis HaMikdash HaShlishi Yerushalayim Mirakadosh Shabbat Shalom to all. Kitsu Veranenu Sheikh Nafar Vehu Besedu